Welcome to Notes on Vulnerability, a podcast designed to put stories of resilience, courage and being human at the heart of the conversation. For a lot of people I know that money and finances can be a real tender spot where vulnerability is concerned. The writer Albert Camus said, it's a kind of spiritual snobbery that makes people think they can be happy without money. Money is one of those topics that, as the existentialist says, we like to pretend we don't need and we don't need to talk about, but we really do. Given how central money is to life, from ensuring you have the resources to have a family or start a business, to creating security in old age, it's insane that we never get taught how to manage it. All that time at school wasted on fractions and French verbs when we could have been learning how to budget or invest. Money really matters, and it can be a huge vortex of vulnerability. I came across one survey that found money to be the number one cause of stress, worse than relationships or work. 9.5 million Brits were suffering mental health issues due to financial anxiety even before the pandemic. According to the Office for National Statistics, at the end of 2019, 21% rated their anxiety as high. In 2021, this went up to nearly 50%, with those who had been financially impacted by the pandemic reporting lower rates of well-being. While billionaires might have increased their already slightly obscene personal wealth, and we've certainly seen plenty of people profiting from the pandemic, for many of us across the UK, the past year has been a time of great financial anxiety, and that can have a huge negative impact on your life, from constant feelings of shame and helplessness, to the fear that can come from just not knowing how to turn your situation around. Money and finances can be a source of intense vulnerability. I also feel like because money is something we find it hard to talk about, there are lots of damaging myths that have been allowed to ground our feelings about money in shame and scarcity. For example, it takes money to make money, i.e. you've got no chance if you're not already rich. Money doesn't grow on trees, so money is scarce and difficult to come across. Another day, another dollar. If you want to earn money, you've got to work really hard. Money is the root of all evil, pretty self-explanatory, and a penny saved is a penny earned, i.e. focus only on the small opportunities. Because of this slightly skewed way in which many of us approach our finances, I felt like it was a great time to interview someone who knows about money and how to approach it mindfully. So what is a healthy relationship with money? This isn't just about being able to prove that you're making objectively acceptable financial decisions. Maybe you have ticked all the boxes of savings, home, pension, assets, etc., but you're terrified of losing them. Maybe how much you have is directly linked to how lovable you feel. Perhaps money feels like something slippery for you that's always out of reach. Or maybe you find it hard to feel like you deserve to be wealthy. Perhaps you perceive wealth to be a sign of someone who has had to make immoral or unethical choices and subconsciously you just don't want that for yourself. My guest on this episode of Notes on Vulnerability is a mindful money mentor and something of an expert on this topic. You can find her on Instagram at Hannah Mindful Money, where she's helping people to transform relationships with money in order to find financial freedom. She's tackling all the topics that we've been taught aren't polite dinner party conversation, from investing to debt and what money actually means to you. And maybe most importantly of all, she's doing it in a direct, compassionate and practical way, pushing the message that better financial health is possible for everyone. Currently based in Manchester, Hannah considers herself to be a global citizen and until recently was living in Tenerife. She's come from a corporate background into the world of mindful money coaching and is also a property and ethical investor and the co-founder of Row, an organic cotton loungewear brand. Her experience includes coaching women and business founders of all backgrounds and she's also a yoga teacher and a student of yogic philosophy. If you scroll through her Instagram, you'll get a pretty spiritual vibe. Historically, the intersection between spirituality and finance has often been either totally out of alignment or kind of exploitative, so I'm really interested to ask her more about how you can get comfortable with the two together. 
Hannah's goal is to help people to have the options and freedom in life that money can support and to provide tools for overcoming stories and discomfort surrounding money that can hold us back. Her gentle, insightful approach offers a path into one of the areas of life that many of us are the least comfortable with, our finances, our attitudes to money and the fiascos and failures that often surround it. If you've ever felt you're unlucky with money or just generally bad with your cash, Hannah is someone you might want to have a conversation with. So Hannah, welcome. Oh, hi. So happy to be here with you. Okay, so let's start with the basics. What is a mindful approach to money? So for me, a mindful approach to money is I have the three pillars, which are earning according to your gifts or what you enjoy, um, what you have to share with the world, spending in alignment with your values and saving and investing for your future self. So I thought that was like a pretty good capsule. <laughs> if you kind of look at those pillars of what it means to be mindful with money. Um, so they're, they're the foundations, I would say. And being mindful is kind of just giving it, I would say it's, it's due attention. And like you said in the introduction, it's such an important tool in life. And it is worth kind of having a look at thinking about um, and exploring more because it has such a big impact. So that's why being really mindful around it is important and giving it our attention. And what's a money story? So a money story is probably something that we've picked up along the way from maybe the people that raised us, things that we saw, especially growing up when our subconscious mind is really sensitive and absorbing everything. And also from society at large. So we live in a really, you know, patriarchal capitalist society. So we learn like a lot of things about money from that. And I would call it a money story because you can rewrite it. And sometimes the stories we tell ourselves, they aren't true. They might be based on what we've seen or based on our experience, but they're, you know, we can rewrite them. So, you know, an example of a money story would be, um, you know, rich people are, you know, really greedy. And that's one that I definitely had. Like, I remember I found it really triggering once. I listened to a podcast and these people were like, I want to earn this much money so I can buy a million pound house. And I was like, oh my God, that is so greedy. I can't believe it. And, you know, because that was the kind of story I had. Mm. And now I'm a bit like, yeah, if you want a million pound house, you know, go for it. And that's might be still quite controversial to hear if you're, you know, like sometimes hearing those numbers can feel really like, oh, because you have a story of like what's an acceptable amount of money or what feels maybe like realistic to you. So yeah, a bit of a controversial story to go in there with, but I remember listening to that and being like, oh my God. And then like, actually it really stretched me in the way I thought about money. And yeah. now I look back on it and I'm like, oh yeah, that was actually really helpful to hear that some people were just going for it. And they, were, they had no shame around it. They were like, yeah, it's how much I want to earn. You know, it was just a fact. It's interesting that you use the word shame because I think, I don't know if it's a British thing, but this idea that talking about money is vulgar and saying that you earn a lot of money is, you know, people are sort of like, all right, mate. <laughs> and especially saying that you have aspirations to be wealthy, like that, that does seem to bring out like a quite a negative reaction in people. Mm. Do you feel like that that is holding, you know, the person who's having the negative reaction back? Yeah, I think it can be really uncomfortable. And speaking from my experience as a woman as well, I think like 
I didn't see any wealthy female role models. So it's also really hard to like imagine how that could, you could be that. And yeah, saying that, yeah, I want to be wealthy is like, it feels a bit edgy and it feels quite bold. Like I am pursuing wealth. Like I want to be a wealthy woman. I know that I can have more impact in the world and, and be more helpful and that money is a form of power. And that is something that I am interested in. Like I, I practice tithing. So 10% of my income goes to communities and charities that I really care about. So my money is like really intertwined with what I want to what I want to do so I'm like yeah that's what like I want to earn money I don't have but oh my god I was not like I did not used to be like this <laughs> I remember I am um, I was in a meeting with my accountant and he was kind of advising on some on property investment and how to to structure whether it should be in my name or in a company name and at the time I was being I was kind of going through the motions with things but I really hadn't confronted any of my money stories and I said like, oh well you know he was talking about if you if you get over this the tax threshold um he's like you know you're young you're at the early stage of your career it's when I'm still working in fashion buying and he was like you know you, when you get over the the next tax threshold so you might want to do it in this way and I was like oh like well I don't care about earning money because I'm a yoga teacher and it was just really you know I was like yeah why would I care about it like it's not important and, you know, I've done a complete 180 now and I'm like, no, I think it is really important because it can facilitate a lot. And yes, I could still be happy and have amazing relationships and connections without it. Like it's not something I would necessarily have to. I don't think it's something that you have to sacrifice those things for. I also think with money, there's a lot of either or thinking. So it's like I either have a happy relationship or I have money. And actually, like, well, money can facilitate a happy relationship. Like you mentioned, it's a big cause of stress and, and arguments in relationships. So actually, it can facilitate things. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be, I want this and that. It's weird, isn't it? Because that quote I read out at the beginning, even though it's from, you know, like an existentialist writer. Mm. <laughs> like, but like the idea that there is a spiritual snobbery in talking about money and um like you said that you, you know you're either spiritual or you're wealthy and you can't have both it feels very limiting to me yeah absolutely and I think maybe that got a little bit twisted along the way with with religion because actually when you go so I'm a yoga teacher and when you go way back to like, the Vedic texts from India um they're called the Purushatas and they're like the four the four things that a human needs to live a good life and one of them is Arta, which is wealth, because they recognize that we are human beings in this world that need worldly things to survive and also enjoy, not just not just survive. Um, so it was very much part of like that, those ancient philosophies. And then I think along the way, the money is the root of all evil narrative has come in more. And that's where you see the kind of the dissection of yeah spirituality and money and that was definitely something that I was was living in yeah so what do you think it is about money that makes us feel so vulnerable I think mainly that we're not taught about it um so when we don't feel very confident or like we know what we're talking about or understand it how can we have conversations about it and 
we're really not taught how to manage our money or you know like what investing is or what a pension is or, or how tax works you know and there's often quite a steep learning curve especially as a business owner I think you have to relate to money in a totally different way and it's very vulnerable to talk about one yeah because we don't maybe understand it enough so we're uncomfortable being like when we feel like we don't understand things we want to just keep it to ourselves and kind of pretend maybe like oh yeah I know what I'm doing and actually none of us probably do because we're not taught it and we have to make a conscious effort to to learn about money and our financial literacy and also because people don't talk about it so it is uncomfortable and like you said this this idea that it's like vulgar or um yeah not polite to talk about it but on the flip side, equally, like you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. And I think there's, we get into these extremes where it's like the people you do see talking about money are like very loud and extroverted and seem extremely confident being like, we should all be millionaires or like, we should, you know, this is financial feminism and quite like loud. And I, I struggle with that as I'm an introvert and I've also been, I'm quite a private person. So I want to share the message and talk about money but equally I'm I, it feels quite noisy sometimes so it can be it can be hard when there's either like nothing spoken about or the way you see it spoken about can be quite intimidating because they're people that are so confident but actually I think speaking about money is really nice to do with people that you feel really safe and and trusted with first as, as a place to start and people who do feel comfortable about it but yeah, I would say that probably feeds into it as well, because we don't have examples of just honest, frank conversations about it. More's coming through and there's things like, you know, the Refinery29 money diaries that I think, um, I don't know if you've seen them there. People say that this is what I spend, this is my salary and this is what I spend all my money on and in a week. And so there's more openness coming through. But again, we're not taught how to how to communicate about it. Yeah, I think when we feel vulnerable about anything like often you know when we feel vulnerable about something we want to shut that feeling down and whatever's causing it we often try to ignore it and um, so when it comes to the feeling of vulnerability that comes up around money mm. um how do you think embracing that rather than turning away from it can sort of help where money is concerned I, I suppose I could speak from my own experience here and just say I, I found it really helpful when I started opening up about money um so my kind of money story is I inherited some money. I lost my dad when I was 22. So I was in a very different financial position to my peers. Um, obviously, I was really, like, really young. I was still at university. Um, I just didn't know how to handle it. And I didn't know how to speak about it. And it was really mixed up with grief. So I just didn't tell anyone anything. And I started trying to like learn about money. I didn't have any role models. Um, so I started trying to learn and like learn how to invest, but I didn't tell anyone because people would also say things to me like, oh, a few comments, like, oh, you're really lucky. And it was just like, my heart was so sore. Like I just couldn't handle, because it's just, you know, if you if anyone's ever inherited money or related, it's, it's so wound up in so much pain often, depending on the situation. So I just didn't tell anyone, didn't talk about it. So it was like a really vulnerable, uncomfortable thing for me. And then I started opening up to it, you know, first of all, with, you know, I did speak to uh, like my partner about it, but I started opening up to like my best friend. And then actually it was really healing. And I found that 
she was like, oh, like, you, this is really helpful. Like, and all this stuff that you're sharing with me about investing and now I'm going to do this. And yeah, it was really, it was really healing for me actually to share it because it, it can be things like that can be a burden. Obviously, my situation was quite extreme about it, but then other people will, will have burdens. I know um, Claire from My Frugal Year talked about when she started sharing her debt journey and it's such a vulnerable topic, but actually, you know, she starts sharing it and now all that she's helped all these people and so many people can relate to it. Mm. And, you know, if you can, can do it, it can be really, really helpful. Yeah, I think this it's shame. There seems to be so much shame that comes up either around having more than other people or having less. Mm. And I think the thing about shame is when you share it, when you shine a light on it, it just can't survive that. Yeah. But you feel like you can't because you're ashamed. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard. And I think, yeah, starting in small, trusted spaces yeah. is, is the best way to do it. So what's the difference between making money and building wealth? So I think we can get quite focused on making money and that's really important. But equally, we can make a lot of money and it can kind of just maybe spend it and and not go and something that is a as a pattern that maybe some people might relate to is oh when I earn more money then this will happen and then this will happen but actually if you're in a kind of cycle of spending maybe whatever you have every month then no matter how much you earn you'll kind of be in that same cycle so I think building wealth is focusing on a lot of it can be learning how to invest in assets. I think that's quite helpful or things that can potentially bring you in money or having savings and things that are going to help support you be financially free and have like the freedom to make other choices. So basically not just always maybe be on this making money cycle where you can't maybe stop and have time off or break when life, you know, sometimes big things happen in life. And if you're in a cycle of like making money every month, it can be quite tricky when those things come up. So a lot of the work that I want to do is basically just give people some wiggle room because big things happen in life that we might not be able to work through. And if we are on that kind of constant making money cycle, then it can be quite tricky to navigate those times. So what would be the components of building wealth? Is it like clearing your debts? Um, is it simple or is, is it something that's kind of... Yeah, I think it can. So I have a kind of a, a path to financial freedom and a set, a set kind of thing to go through. But I would just say on, on debt that, you know, kind of get, getting out of debt or clearing debt, if that's your goal, is the same as building wealth. So you're, it's the same. It's still growing your net worth. And I think that's really important to share. It's like you're, you're doing the same as everyone else, like you're learning to grow your net worth. Maybe you're starting from a, whatever place, whatever place anyone is at on that journey it's all the same and there's like different things that you'll have to learn and figure out wherever you're at on that journey but it's still a building wealth journey you're still growing your net worth basically so I like kind of you've like you've changed the perspective there from like yeah sort of getting out of debt and it's quite negative you've shifted it to like there's no shame around it you're the same as everyone else and yeah else and it's a positive thing yeah and I think like the mindfulness, what you just did there. <laughs> yeah, probably. And there's a lot of things I like to shift, like paying bills and things, you know, can be like such a groan. And then I'm like, actually, paying my water bill, like 
oh my god I get clean water in my tap like this is <laughs> this is great I'm really happy to pay for this and there's just certain things we just think about money in a certain way and just don't like don't really yeah don't really realize we can have another perspective on it which is why it's really nice to, to do this kind of work and think about it a bit more but my kind of path to financial freedom is it starts with the financial healing so it's really like looking at what like we said earlier what are my money stories like what did I learn about money growing up and what's happened in the past like what patterns do I have and like getting really honest with yourself and taking responsibility like okay I'm responsible for my financial well-being and I'm going to take it on myself to to figure this out and see see what stories I have learn what I need to fill in gaps with knowledge because there will be gaps of knowledge because we're not taught any of this. <laughs> so it's kind of the, the practical side of it and the emotional side of it. I always work in tandem with those two sides because, you know, there are people that will you can learn all the practical stuff, but unless you've looked at those emotional things from the past, it can be affecting you and, and playing out in different ways. And then the kind of next step is financial alignment so that's the part that's earning according to your gifts and spending according to your values so like yeah getting into alignment with who you are and it's based on what's important to you you know someone what someone it's important for them to spend on will be totally different to someone else it's there's no one size fits all with it it's you feeling into it and your money being a reflection of you and what you want to bring into your life basically and then the kind of the next layer on, I would say, is financial cultivation. So looking at investor mindset and learning about building assets and building wealth, maybe in a different way than you'd thought about before. I'm really passionate about talking about it because I would never have known that was an option for me because I didn't grow up in that kind of a background. So I always want to talk about it like, you know, there are apps that can just round up the money you spend in the supermarket and they will then invest it for you. It's more accessible than we're sold. So I think it's really important. And then the final step is yeah, financial freedom. So just enjoying what we have. Mm. And these aren't steps aren't necessarily linked to income or net worth. They're just linked, you know, and they all play out at the same time and are interwoven as well. You know, you can you could be a billionaire, but you could have a lot of financial healing to do. You'd be looking at someone else with a bigger private jet getting stressed about it, you know. <laughs> That sounds like a nice problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, the feeling of poverty can happen no matter how much money you have. So, I mean, many of our sort of systems and structures are inherently weighted against people from certain backgrounds mm. or designed to favour um, specific race and gender demographics. Can a mindful approach to money really overcome these kind of disadvantages? I think just a mindful approach to money helps. It helps, but you know, it couldn't. I could never say it would overcome the systemic oppression that people have to deal with, the way our societies are set up. And you know, there's things, there's really real gaps. And I've spoken about this. I've, I've got a few written down here, but it's um, yeah, there's a huge gap in things like funding for women in business. So female founders get less than one p for every pound that in the UK that's given in investment for businesses. Um, we have a huge racial wealth gap. So black African and Bangladeshi households have 10 times less wealth than British white people. So the gaps are just, there's a gender pension gap. It's, on average, it's £100,000 between a man and a woman. That was from Scottish widows. So there are all of these gaps inherent in society and 
but the more kind of knowledge you have that I think it would it does help you navigate these things but I think it takes more of a conscious effort you know things like speaking from my experience as a woman I'm a white woman um I had I didn't see many female role models of of wealth or building businesses I didn't really think that I could have a business because I didn't that was never modeled to me it was always kind of well you get a job and you get a paycheck and that's that's what you do so I think the more the more role models we have the more things can change but we we live in within certain parameters of the way things work Mm. yeah but you know understanding that as well that maybe you know it's not your fault but there are things that you can do and you can take responsibility for what you can with your finances. So one of my questions was actually going to be um, what particular issues can come up around money for those that identify as a woman. So you've kind of touched a bit on sort of investment and and the gender pension gap. Is there anything else? I will say I don't have children, but I think, you know, obviously being a mother is a big can can be a big part of a woman's story and I remember like when I was in the corporate world I was looking at kind of people that had children in the office and I was like oh this doesn't I don't really feel like this works like these people are like I I don't think this works with with life I just don't think it's that compatible it was compatible enough with my life at the time because I didn't have any responsibilities but I was like oh I don't think this this really works and like then I've ended up being a carer for a family member and it just didn't wasn't really compatible with office life and commuting to London like it just wasn't so I think that's a big thing and and there's also a, a gap in kind of unpaid work in the home and I think a lot of that pension gap is probably fed in by women taking maybe more gaps in careers or working because of family or familial commitments whatever that might look like what about like things like imposter syndrome and you know I've, I've come across so many statistics about how women struggle to ask for what they're worth mm. why do you think doing that makes us feel so vulnerable I think it's money is really new to women as well it's important to remember that I think it was 1975 women couldn't even get much like credit or debt without it being signed by a man so it's it's super new and and it, I think it is just really new to be able to say, like, yeah, I want this. And it's it's been acceptable for men as their historical role as the breadwinner to ask for money. And that's been very much what they're looked at to do. But for women, it is newer to be, you know, yeah, I want I want money. I, I want to earn money. So I think it's these old stories are a big part of it. And it is it is just inherently a bit un, uncomfortable I think you know saying what you want and saying it like it's hard to say what you want I think you know it's hard to sometimes firstly know what you want and and it can be really scary I think part of it, this whole money mindset work as well is like feeling comfortable to even want, want what you want if you've kind of have a have been programmed that it's not for you you might not even feel comfortable like, wanting a certain amount of money because you just no, don't think it's on the table for you. Mm. So one, like knowing your desires and what you want. And then, yeah, the second thing of asking for it is like a whole other, a whole other thing because you have to be so, yeah, I suppose strong in yourself to be able to say that and, and risk things like rejection. And it's scary. It's scary wanting, 
wanting more as well. And I guess if, if you're doing that in the context of, you know, a society that already values you less, whether that's on the basis of like race or gender or whatever, it makes it even harder to be like, no, I'm worth more. Yeah. And someone else is going to be like, but look at all this evidence that suggests you're not. Yeah, it's really tough. And you know, as well on 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 worth, it's you, there's no never a price is there that can define your worth. Like sometimes you see, you know, like these Instagram camp, captions, like you know, ask for your worth and know your worth. But it's like you are inherently worthy no matter what. And money actually doesn't come in come into like your worth. You're you're worthy as a human if you're earning nothing or if you're earning millions. You know, it doesn't detract from that. But really, it's what your you know the value that you have to offer you probably are offering so much value and you know you want to be asking for money in accordance with that and often yeah we undersell ourselves we might not realize how much value we offer because we're like oh I'm, that's just normal for me and other people are like no that you have so much skills and so much knowledge and you give so much value and sometimes it can be tricky for us to recognize that I have actually come up against that like obviously I'm I'm a resilience coach so I'm, mm. I'm you and um having to do the pricing for the coaching was quite difficult because you kind of look at other people and you set your price according to what you think people will pay for coaching and then you have to really put that on its head and be like really like look at your value like you say what you what what is encompassed within that um and that's something that's very new to me and I've had to have a complete perspective shift to be able to do that so how can people get a sense of their own value if they're sort of a bit blind to it at the moment? I think it can sometimes be tough because you're so in it. And I, I think getting other people's perspectives can be really helpful. So if you have worked with people, and I suppose I'm coming at from the examples that we've just been speaking about, like a service provider perspective, but um, speaking to other people maybe that you've worked with and being like, oh, what was what has come from this and like what value have you got from it and it might help you understand a bit more and just kind of repeating that to yourself as well like oh yeah because we just don't see it sometimes what because it's so things are so normal for us that other people can really benefit from and I have a product-based business as well and pricing for that was originally quite tricky and it's because I hadn't done as much money mindset work at the time so I really had this urge to price it as low as possible and like what's the lowest that we could go and actually that's not always you know that's kind of a a programming that no one will have have maybe no one will have the money to be able to pay this so I better price it as low as I can and that can be a really common tendency as well that when we're looking at pricing so you used to work in the corporate world. How did that have an impact on your perspective when it comes to money? Um, I don't know how much of a perspective it had. I, I worked in fashion buying, which isn't, I suppose it's all relative, but it's not a super high paying industry, I would say. Um, considering that I was kind of working in London and how the cost of living there and things like that, it's, it's quite a... Um, a tough industry to start out in I think because it's quite popular a lot of people want to do it but it kind of, it helped me in a way because when I wanted to look at earning money in my own business it did I didn't feel like it was super unachievable because I was like well I don't uh, I feel like I don't earn you know I don't have like a six-figure salary that I'm giving up 
you know, like my first salary in fashion buying, I did a placement year of 15,000 pounds. So, you know, and it, and it rose as I went along, but um, I think it was a bit helpful to be honest, because I, I didn't feel like I had as much to maybe give up. It feels like so long ago now. And I kind of, I went actually from, from working in, in fashion buying, and then I went to kind of the other end of the spectrum. I did a work exchange as a yoga teacher. So I, you know, I didn't earn any money, but I got my place to live and I taught yoga so I kind of went from really extreme one extreme to the other so it's been really interesting and now I'm you know earning money as a business owner and it's a whole different journey now. So what made you decide to become like a mindful money mentor? It was I'd started having these conversations with my friend and I could see that it was really a lot was shifting for her and she was like you should talk about this with other people and um honestly it just came to me one day in the bath like I'd, <laughs> I was in the bath and I was reading this book about money again and I'd been starting to get more into the self-development thing and started working on some group coaching programs and and doing more self-development work and I'd done a few workshops as a yoga teacher around intentions and things like that and then I was like oh this is the thing that I should be sharing with people it just came to me and I was really resistant about it because I was like, oh, it's money. And it's like, it's just not the most comfortable subject. And like, maybe I could just be a normal life coach. And then it just wouldn't go away. And I was like, no, this is this is the thing, you know. So, um, yeah, like I said before, I haven't always been comfortable talking about it. So it's been um, a journey for me as well. But I think, you know, it just came. It's so important to talk about and it's so important because it affects our whole life. So, yeah, it, it was... Um, yeah not super intentional well thought through it just came to me I was like, oh god I've got to do this right and now I love it and I'm so happy but it's scary sometimes doing new things isn't it always definitely mm. but often I find that's a sign that perhaps you're on the right track yeah it was a bit scary um you're a very spiritual person and I've mentioned this already and we kind of touched on it um I think we tend to associate being spiritual with not being bothered about material things and there's an element of shame that comes into the whole thing if you are spiritual and money focused yeah I think it's quite tough but um honestly my view is that we're we're here to have a, as good a time as possible in our in our human lives and we're here to have as much fun and, and enjoy it as much as we can and be as considerate as we can and loving as we can to everyone and that we're all connected um no matter where we are so I think that helps when you have this respect for as well the kind of fragility of life and I think you know obviously everything I've been through losing family members gave me that from a, like I was really I've been really conscious that we're not here <laughs> I don't know how long I'm going to be here for so I, I have a that has given me a different perspective that I really want to enjoy it and yeah worldly possessions they're here to be enjoyed like we live in a human realm we're in a human experience you know and doing things that are maybe could be seen as materialistic can be fun and we can enjoy it but I'm I'm also like really personally into kind of minimalism and buying less buying really consciously but buying as good you know as good quality things as I can and I I do believe that every pound or dollar or whatever that we spend has a ripple effect in the world so when I spend I spend really in a con as consciously as I can and actually money enables me to do that because it is 
it is more expensive to buy things that are fair trade, to buy things that are organic, to buy things that are, you know, made with compassion to the supply chain. So I think it, it money can strengthen, can strengthen that as well, that mission. So is this the idea of like money as a force for good? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally believe that. And it really can be a force for good. It's how we use it, you know, and I think it gets a bad, sometimes money gets, has got this bad rep of being evil or greedy because maybe we haven't seen wealthy people using it in a really good way um, or, to, or just talking about it. So, yeah, I try and spend really mindfully and I, I always try and spend with small businesses if I can ideally you know female founded businesses and um when I shop here in Manchester I try and go to the greengrocer or the local butcher like I love supporting small businesses it just feels really really good to me so yeah I enjoy things and I want to enjoy material possessions but yeah it can be really there's two it's like two sides of a coin and it can feel really separate but I think you can weave them together I recently read um, how, it how to be a badass with your money or your mm. one of the badass books about money. And she talks about sort of money as, you know, we project all of this shit onto money, but actually money is just money, um, you know, and you can do with it what you want. And that was quite interesting for me because I, I, I think I've personally always seen money in quite a negative way. Um, and it's really helped me to see that actually it's got nothing attached to it at all. It, it just is. Um, but then yeah. on the other side of it, there's a lot of narratives at the moment around sort of encouraging people to view money as an energy. And I know that you're not into that. So do you, can you explain why that is? Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I, I say I work on the practical and emotional side and um, I'm just such a practical person, even though I have this like really spiritual mindset. I'm like, you know, all this manifesting money stuff. I'm like, yeah, but do you have do you know how much you're spending every month? Like, do you have your bank account set up for your business? Like, is is all the, you know, structure in place that helps as well? And I think money is an energy can feel quite abstract. And if that, if that works for you, then it can work for you. But I absolutely think that money is often a reflection of our time and, you know, and our energy in terms of like what we, what our output and that is why money should be treated with a lot of care and respect because actually, you know, we spend our time to earn it or to make it often. And our time is so precious and so valuable that by kind of seeing money as something important to be respected, it, it can often be a reflection of our time and energy. So I think that perspective is, is really important. Um, yeah, and what else was it? You said, oh yeah, the book. It's called "You're a Badass at Making Money" by Jen Sincero, and it's a really good place to start with money mindset. And yeah, you said about it being like a neutral thing, and I see money as actually very neutral now. Um, and it's taken me; it's the process of doing money mindset work to get there. And the way I like to think about it is that like if you're sitting down and eating your dinner and you've got your knife and fork, you're not like feeling weird about knife and fork or like oh knives and forks are weird while you're eating and I'm like yeah money's knife and fork is a tool for like you to eat your dinner and it's like yeah money's a tool for you to live a really meaningful beautiful life whatever that means for you and it can really so if we can take all the emotional charge out of it and just see it as a tool 
then that can be a really beneficial perspective to help yeah unlearn all those things that we pick up about it what is financial well-being because you've kind of mentioned there that there's the emotional aspect and then for you there's this very practical aspect so if we were looking at sort of optimum financial well-being what would that look like um i think it would be different for everyone but i think having a good understanding as a foundation of of kind of what your costs and spending and earnings are like actually like knowing your numbers basically can be really helpful because they can be hard to look at and we often want to avoid them and maybe don't want to check our bank account and it can feel like effort or we don't know what to look at but when we know what's going on with our money it can be really powerful and just help us feel really calm and confident about it so I'd say financial well-being is like knowing what's going on um having some idea of of financial literacy having some financial goals perhaps or things in place like a pension savings funds debt repayment plans you know like the, those kind of practical things and then it's also yeah this emotional relationship of not having to carry these stories that we've picked up along the way you know being able to feel good about it and enjoy it so not even being really restrictive and not wanting to spend anything or go on kind of maybe splurges and feeling like, oh, I shouldn't have spent that, you know? So being really in tune with it, I think. If somebody listened to this was like, this is how I feel. I don't feel in control of my money. I feel very vulnerable, a bit scared, ashamed, all the other things that we've talked about. What would be one good first step that anyone could take other than booking a session with you? <laughs> I would say if you can start to look at your bank account every day, that can be really powerful because you you just feel like you know what's going on and and it starts to connect you with it. So that's a really practical thing. Um, and that can be really hard. I feel about, I know some people will feel about that, the way I feel about looking at my screen time app every day. I don't do it. I don't want to do it. But actually, like it probably would be really helpful. So um, yeah, if you if connecting with your money and knowing what's going on, if things feel like a little bit uncertain or you're not quite in control of it or haven't got a grip on it, I would say start start there. Okay. And then what about, I mean, things like investing, you know, that's something that most of us are like, yeah, I mean, rich people do investing, people in the city do investing, but it's not for me. Um, why do you think we've got that resistance towards that? And, and what, what would you say to someone who thinks like that about investing? Yeah, I think there's a lot that it's not, it's not for me. And it's because we don't, you know, understand it maybe that was true of me I didn't understand how it worked so I could never partake in something that I didn't really understand and I think if you are if you want to start in it there's you know some things to un understand about it but what is really really could be powerful is just start to set aside a certain amount every month or a certain percentage every month and you could call it just put it it could just be in your bank account pot and call it investing that you so you're kind of in the practice of putting money that you earn to the side ready to invest and that you don't need to maybe go into it straight away and then start to get in the financial literacy and like understanding you know there are books that you can read it can be overwhelming because there's a lot of information out there but there are so many apps now that can help automate things as well and I would say with investing is it can be smaller amounts than you think 
So you can do it in just a really small way every month. And it doesn't have to be like these huge sums of money, but the powerful effect is from the compounding. So that the earlier you start, then your money makes money. And then that money that you've made makes more money. And it's like this, this ripple effect of things building over time. And actually time is the most powerful thing in, in, in investing. So small and regular amounts are fine. I think there's a perception that maybe it has to be these huge sums, but actually a small monthly amount, whatever that is for you. And even if you are doing it one per say maybe 1% of your income every month, you are still an investor. You are still the person that invests. I don't know if you've read um, James Clear's things about habits, and he talks a lot about becoming the person first. So not focusing on the outcome, focusing on becoming that person. So if you put aside 1%, if you start by putting 1% every month into one of these apps, you are an investor. You have started to do it. And then you can kind of build confidence, look at it, see what's going on. So start. you can start small, I would say. It's really important to know. That's a myth that you can't. So I, I think I've always thought you need a financial advisor to do investing, but obviously you don't. Yeah, there's a lot of apps now. Um, I haven't actually used it, but there's one called Moneybox, which I think is around the one I was talking about that rounds up your change. Mm. Um, I'm really into responsible investing because our, our money has a big ripple effect. So whenever I invest, I want to make sure it's not in things like fossil fuels or oil and things like that. So if you Google um, socially responsible investing, which is SRI, or ESG, which is environmental, social, governmental. Um, those are like the two acronyms of kind of responsible investing in a way. So if you Google like SRI investing app or ESG investing app, you will find some. So I think there's one called Nutmeg, Thinker. Um, yeah, that's where I would say to start. Okay. And yeah. um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I think you've kind of touched on it a little bit, is the idea of time as a currency. Yeah, there's so many more currencies than just money. <laughs> um, and yeah, time is absolutely so important. And it's and it is linked to money, which is why I think that looking at our money is really important as well. So yeah, the two are absolutely, absolutely, totally linked often. What I usually do at the end of these podcasts is ask people to give one note on vulnerability. Uh, so that's one sort of learning that you'd like people to take away, one idea, uh, one behavioural shift, or, you know, when it comes to money and vulnerability. Mm, so money and vulnerability, I would say, first of all, I can say be vulnerable with yourself about it and get clear on how you feel about it, You're, you know, as the start point is to look at what's going on on the emotional side of money, on the practical side, and yeah, have this vulnerable conversation with yourself about what does money mean to me? What role does it play in my life? What role would I want it to play in my life? And I think that's a really good starting point to know how you think and feel about it right now. Brilliant, all right. Well, thank you very much for that. That's been a super interesting discussion. Mm, yeah, thank you. When was the last time that you felt vulnerable? Because vulnerability is such an uncomfortable feeling, none of us exactly keeps a log of how many times we felt vulnerable in one day. That would be pretty destabilizing. Having said that, if you cast your mind back to the past 24 hours, I reckon there's probably been at least one or two times when you felt that creeping sense of vulnerability. 
Maybe it came from having to be honest about your feelings or when you realised that something you really wanted just wasn't going to happen. Maybe someone said no to you. You had to do something that's completely outside your comfort zone. Or someone in your life, whether that's a partner, your kids, or even the dog, made you realise that something you've said or done really wasn't that cool and was actually not very aligned with who you are. If that just sparked a little flame of recognition in you, then you're definitely not alone because it's happened to me about five times in the past two days. I think the reaction we usually have to feeling like that is to try and suppress it or to try and find a way to numb it. So food, booze, sex, shopping, exercise, or just putting it in a box and not thinking about it. But I'd encourage you to try and stay with it if it feels safe for you to do so. Because the more that we get comfortable with feeling vulnerable and just letting it be there instead of trying to get rid of it, the easier it becomes to sort of push through it and get to all the good stuff on the other side.